Blog Talk Radio. Sports Conversation. This is, of course, on the uh, Fighting Network. I'm Don Henderson, our co-host along the way, of course. Roy Cummings in Tampa, Florida. Roger Hendler in Atlanta, Georgia. Our, our Commander-in-Chief, 
behind all the microphones and running the controls for us, Frank Carroll. He'll join us in just a second. And before we get everything started, let me throw it right to Frank for a dedication, and then we'll jump right into the show. Frank? Yeah, then, uh, unfortunately, we're starting the week again with uh, eight police officers across the country have uh, lost their lives in the line of duty. Um, ladies and gentlemen, these are very, very tough times for men and women in, in uniform. Please, if you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, you can shake their hand, give them a, a wink, let them know you're know they're there, and you know that they're doing a good job. Not everybody is as bad as, as, as some of the people want, think they are. There's an awful lot of good guys out there trying to do their job, and all they want to do is go home to their children and their wife each and every night. So if you could, during the, during the week or during the day at some point in time, just give them a good thought or a prayer if you could. We appreciate it. All right, Frank, we'll jump right into it. Reverse the order a little bit. Normally we start with Roy Cummings because he's our uh, genuine guest every night between 7 and 7 or 7.30 and 8 o'clock. But, Roger, we're going to start with you because – the New York Mets came in very, very depleted into the world champion Braves' backyard, and Buck Showar and company uh, took the Braves two out of three and sort of slowed down that momentum in Atlanta. Well, they sure did, uh, Don, and I, I was hoping to talk to Roy. I guess we'll I'll get to talk to him about it. One of the things that surprised me today, you know, I'm a big Charlie Morton fan. And uh, when I looked at, you know, that score today, 7-3, to three, but I looked at his ERA, 4.45. I, was, I never paid any attention to it until today. And, you know, when you think about it, as successful as he's been, that's a high earn run average. And, uh, but I think the uh, Braves will uh, be back. I give the Mets a lot of credit. I, uh, I really do. Uh, they've got a lot of talent. And, uh, and, you know, since we're on baseball, uh, I have to say a couple of things about the uh, Phillies. Uh, number one, uh, the colors have really shown with the guys that we did not know until now with, when they went to Toronto that have not been vaccinated. One is, is Remuto. I, I'm, I'm not, never happy about that contract. Uh, for what, five years uh, for a 30-year-old catcher, and uh, he's not had a good year. He's had a couple of good highlights. That's about it. And the statement that he made, it's going to be interesting to see the, uh, the uh, response he gets at the next uh, home game at Citizens Bank Park when he talked about not getting the uh, vaccination. He said, I told my doctor what I felt about it, and uh, so I decided not to get it. And, uh, you know, what's, uh, what's the pay for a couple of games? Well, that pay is $235,000. And if, uh, none of us can relate to getting two days' pay for $235,000. If that was not an asinine statement to make, by a bright guy, nothing is. Well, I'll let Roy jump in and comment on that. I, I, I have to disagree with you in one regard. Everybody knew in the front office, from the managers to the coaches to everybody in the front office, that there were players that did not get their shots and would not be able to go and participate once the they went over the border. No. That's my point, Don. The fans didn't know until Oh, it wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Billy and I did a show last week in Philadelphia. We talked about it. 
that these were the players that were not inoculated and would not be eligible to play in Toronto. They knew about it. Everybody in Philadelphia knew that that uh, they were not eligible to play. But let me get to Roy and uh, get from his comments first. Go ahead, Roy. Yeah, I can see both sides of the argument uh, with uh, Real Muto. I, I, it's, it's Look, it's unfortunate um, that he's not there for his team, and I think it is a bit of a slap in the face of the fan base and the organization as well, um, that you just kind of, you know, lackadaisically say, oh, well, what's a couple of days? You know, maybe to him it's nothing. Um, but the team needs him, uh, especially at this time, you know, where – uh, you got two teams at the top of the uh, division uh, fighting it out against each other, and it's an opportunity to, to gain some ground. Um, you know, you don't know where you're going to be in certain situations throughout the season. Here they are without Bryce Harper. Um, and when you take Real Muto out of the lineup, who's been playing a little bit better of late, um, you know, that hurts you. And, uh, you know, you could argue that, okay, well, he had a couple of days coming uh, off anyway. Uh, maybe he was going to get a day off in one of those games. But, you know, Usually a day off means you could still pinch hit or something. It's just, again, it hurts the team, and I think it's just a little bit uh, disrespectful of the fans that, uh, you know, that you don't get the vaccination. I think from the Philly standpoint, they were probably hoping that at some point he would go ahead and get it. I'm sure they were urging him to do it, um, urging him, not pressuring him, but urging him to do it, maybe even get some teammates to say, hey, we're going to need you there. Um, you know, get, get the shot, uh, do what's best for the team, but – at the end of the day, these are individual decisions, and uh, it's, it's controversial every time. If a player doesn't get the shot um, and can't go uh, across the border to play, um, it matters. And it matters uh, not just, you know, with the Phillies. It matters with other teams in Major League Baseball. It matters uh, in, uh, in hockey as well and mattered in basketball. So, you know, we, we've seen this happen. You know what the rules are. It's just a little unfortunate that a player that, again, to Roger's point, that you gave a big contract to, uh, that you look at as a leader of the team, uh, basically it doesn't take a leadership role here. And uh, to me, that's that's disappointing. Um, you know, we see it all the time. Teams miss uh, the playoffs uh, or make the playoffs in some cases by, by a game, two games. Um, you know, what would uh, JT Real Muto mean to the Phillies uh, across the border in, the, in these couple of games? He, he might mean the difference between making the playoffs and not. Um, you know, that, that East is tough, and uh, a lot of people think that three teams could come out of there and get to the playoffs. A lot of people think the Phillies could be one of them, but they got a lot of work to do, and it doesn't help them if J.T. Real Muto is not in the lineup. Well, they had a great chance that they lost the last two games. They won the first two games against the Cardinals and then dropped the next two, and then, of course, went into Toronto and, and lost again. But, Roger, going back to your point, uh, they also lost Baum last night sliding into second base. I don't know. I have not seen the medical report on it yet. On the post-game show, they were very, very pessimistic uh, about uh, what had happened to him with his hand. Uh, maybe you know more about that than yeah, I do because yeah, I don't. He, I don't. He, he broke his finger. It was the uh, the night before last. It was Monday night against the Cardinals, and he too is not vaccinated. Okay, it's not only Remuto. There's a, several players. But That's right. Schwerber, if you if you heard the interview with Kyle Schwerber. Okay, he really, you can sense, he's not happy with those guys, that they have not gotten it. And, uh, you know, and he's a leader. And I think this could also now uh, uh, surface and cause some uh, dissension within the ranks in the clubhouse. I really believe that after hearing Schwerber. 
Roger, I think you're right. And, and the more we, we look at it, uh, you know, think of it this way. Let, let's just say that the Phillies get hot, that they get into the playoffs, and that they get hot at the right time, and they get to the World Series, and lo and behold, they're playing the Toronto Blue Jays. And the, and, right. and the laws and rules uh, for, for entry into the country in Canada haven't changed. You know, are, are, are the Phillies, what are they going to do? Are they going to go into Philadelphia without J.T. Real Muto, without Alec Baum? I mean, two of their most important players. I mean, they're starters. You know, it's, we're right. not talking about, you know, uh, young players that uh, that, that have a, a part-time uh, job here. You know, we're talking about guys that have a have a legitimate role, and uh, the team counts on them. I, I, yeah, I, it's it's really disappointing is what it is. And what it says to me is, you know, it's a, it goes a little bit towards what I think we've known about the Phillies for a while now is that they're not all in. I mean, it, it, no. they're not all in on this thing. Um, is everybody doing everything they can to, you know, as a team to, to make this work, to get to the playoffs and to, and to win a championship? It, it seems to me that the answer is no. There's some guys who are, you know, all in and some guys who are, well, I, I got one foot in, but I can't put both feet in. I, it's, it's really disappointing. Well, in those four games, Roy, against the Cardinals, they only scored, I believe, seven runs. So they were lucky to get the first two because the Cardinals weren't hitting. And now, the, it's, the last I looked, it's nothing-nothing in the third inning. And Matt, I, uh, Zach Wheeler's pitching another classic. And you talk about a guy that was really uh, given the cold shoulder about the All-Star game. That's Zach Wheeler. He should right. be there. Right, you're exactly right there. Toronto just yeah. scored a run on a ground ball to second or to a shortstop. They couldn't convert a double play. So uh, Toronto's up by a score of one nothing. Uh, but going back to your point, Roy, and to Roger, we've now gone through this in the football season and the basketball season. The two superstars for the Brooklyn Nets weren't able to participate because they couldn't play in the arena. Couldn't you go to Madison Square Garden if you were a Nick? You couldn't. Uh, go with some of the other arenas. I'm talking superstars, guys who are making what ten, fifteen million dollars a year wouldn't wouldn't play. And uh, this is just another carryover. Somewhere along the line, I would think that the players association or the owners and in, in, with the players association had to make some kind of a ruling that these guys can't just sit out. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I hear your point there, Don, and. Uh... To, I agree with it to a point, but at the end of the day, you know, the Players Association is going to look out for the players and their individual right. rights. I mean, that's what they're going to look out for. And, uh, and, and again, you know what? Each player, just as every individual, you know, no matter where, what, what industry you're in, they, they have a right to make these decisions regarding their health and their body, uh, you know, as we, sh- as we all should. But, you know, when it comes to sports and you're on a team, it's, it's a little bit different. You know, if you sell insurance and and you don't want to get the uh, the vaccine, and, and and your company says, all right, you're going to have to try to you know cold call from home and uh, make it on the phone, and you, you can't go make visits. You know, that, okay, maybe you'll feel the pinch. Um, but when you play for a team, you know, in major league sports, uh, I just think there's a different. It's a different dynamic. Uh, you've you've got you know a group of other guys, whether it's you know 52 on a football team, 24 on a baseball team. Uh, you know, 18 or 20 on a, on a hockey team, a dozen on a basketball team. You got other guys counting on you, and I think it just, to me, it takes an awful lot of guts, I'll say, 
to basically turn your back on your teammates and say, sorry, guys, can't be there for you when, uh, if you need me in, uh, you know, in Toronto. I, I, just think it's, I just think it's wrong. And, you know, I think that's how divisions and fissures in, uh, in, in, in locker rooms and dressing rooms and clubhouses uh, begin. And it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, look, uh, Roger, you've obviously, you know, had your, your say about JT Real Muto and, uh, there's some catchers out there, one in Chicago in particular, who could be on the market. Um, Phillies would look really nice with uh, Wilson Contreras behind the plate. Um, sure. It might be time to move on. And you know what? Alec Baum is, you know, he's having a nice season, but it's not like he's a fixture. And you know, we're not talking about uh, Brooks Robinson here. We're not talking about no. uh, Nolan Arenado. We're uh, we're talking about about a guy who's expendable. And uh, but in the but in uh, Roy in the Phillies case, in the Phillies case, Baum has really been. One of their much better players over the last month to five weeks. Uh, I, agree. Not only de- I agree. Not only defensively, but offensively. But uh, going back to you, Roger, I mean, uh, here they are in a, in, in a head-to-head battle with the Cardinals and, and other teams to try to get into the playoffs. And now you go to, to, to Toronto and you leave your guys out there hanging out to dry. Well, I agree. I, I mean, and, you know, like I said, it's not only those two fellows. I mean, it, it, it's several other players. But, the, you know, uh, with the point of the, uh, about the NFL, uh, you know, that we have to consider is they never have to go to Canada, okay? But they have to go out of the country, and there's more and more games. What, this year it's in Germany plus uh, England, I believe, right? In Munich? I think it's in Munich, isn't it? The, right. uh, yeah, the you're right. There, there's, yeah, there's, there's, yes. there's, yeah, there's almost and, a dozen games uh, outside of the country yeah. this year, so that's an issue right. as well. You know, Roy, I, I brought it up to Frank uh, to, just to switch over to uh, football for even if a second. Uh, I just you probably got it. I just got the uh, announcement from the NFL this afternoon that Troy Vincent and the gentleman that's involved with international football are going to uh, team up to make the presentation to the Olympic Committee to have flag football in the Olympics. I'd like to have your comment on that. I think it's very interesting, and wouldn't it be something if they uh, approve that? Look, I'm I'm all in favor of it. Uh, You know, I I am a traditionalist uh, in just about every, you know, form of, you know, sports when it comes to that. I I mean, I I, I do like and appreciate – um, you know the the, the 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 sports in the Olympics that we've kind of come become accustomed to seeing, but I don't mind new sports coming in. I don't mind that tennis and golf are part of the Olympics. I don't mind that softball is part of the Olympics. And if you know if flag football is going to be part of it, why not? Um, I I don't know how much it's played outside of the U.S., um, but my guess is it's probably a growing sport because you know it's a fun activity and um, and I would think that. It's an opportunity again to get you know more athletes involved, and uh, it could be a men's and women's uh, division as well. I, I think it's a great idea. Um, I, I don't know if you know you might see some ex NFL players. I can't imagine the NFL is going to ask those guys to go out there and play in the Olympics, but you never know. That that could happen too. So uh, I'm all in favor of it. I, I think it'd be great. It'll be, certainly it will be fun to watch. Well, Rogers, as you brought up football, it uh, looks like Dan Snyder is finally going to have to make an appearance uh, before the uh, <laughs> before the, they finally have made the decision that yes, indeed, he's got to step up and he's got to make an appearance. What do you think about that? Go ahead, Roy. <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, he he darn well should make an appearance. Uh, Pan here is 
least. Uh, it's an awful issue. Uh, talk about turning your back on uh, on your people. I mean, this this has been. It went on the situation that they're they're concerned about here with uh, with the female uh, staff members. Uh, it's been going on for for years there, and um, in a male dominated sport, a male dominated environment, uh, these people be some people became like predators and. Uh, and he has to answer to it. Um, I don't think he's the only organization. You know, the, the Washington is the only organization that's, that's probably got problems like this. There's probably others. But clearly, uh, if this, is, if this is at least the tip of the iceberg, if not the whole iceberg. But he should. He should, he should have to answer for it. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to go well for him. I really don't. I, I don't know what powers uh, can be, you know, put in place here to, to force him out if that's, you know, what needs to be done or whatever. But um, I just don't think it's going to go well for him. Will he still own the team at the end of the day? That's possible. But I think at some point, I think the owner, other owners are going to have to be uh, a little bit more aggressive and say, all right, look, uh, if you want to be part of this club, this can't go on. The only reason they wouldn't, I would think, is if they're all guilty of the same thing in some form or fashion. Exactly. Yeah. Roger? Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, what's really sad is that, you know, that was a prestige organization when he bought it. And uh, great tradition. And I used to spend a lot of time not only in the reserves, uh, but also for work uh, down in uh, D.C. and and Virginia. And and this you're right, Roy. This goes back, what, 25, 30 years now almost. And uh, when he really has taken that organization uh, to a, a low level, I mean, when they uh, remove seats and they cover up seats to make it look better, it's, it's just it's a sad situation about that. And, and Don and I, uh, we were even at a game uh, at uh, RFK, right, Don, before they moved to FedEx Field. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's switch again. Got a couple of things I want to touch on before we get that run out of time with Roy, and that is Scotty Bowman. Scotty is stepping aside, our neighbor down there in, in, uh, right outside of Sarasota, and, and uh, it's been a long time, uh, you know, with the same organization now, and he decided it was time to step aside. Roy? Yeah, hey, uh, boy, nobody's given it a better run than, uh, than Scotty Bowman. You could certainly say that. Uh, he's a fixture at the Tampa Bay Lightning games uh, in his role as uh, uh, scout and kind of an advanced scout for, for the teams. And you know what? Um, he, he just loves the sport. They, you can you can see, I mean, it's, it's great to be able to sit and talk to him and, and pick his brain. And, and, I mean, he's got so much uh, knowledge about the game and, and so many stories to tell. Um, he's, he's a great uh, ambassador for the game, and he's done a great job for years. Um, I'm surprised he, he really stuck around this long. But you know what? His love for the game is that great. And he makes that drive up uh, from uh, Pinellas, deep in Pinellas County, Sarasota County, I should say. And uh, every every night that the Lightning are playing, he's there. It's very rare that he's not. And um, he's, hey, uh, he's been a great yes, support. Yeah, he, he, he lives on Siesta, which is great because it's very close close to us in Sarasota, just the other end of the beach. But uh, you're right. I mean, he, he was a great guest when he was with us, every time he's been with us. As you said, a great lover of uh, of the National Hockey League and a, a great storyteller for all the teams and all the championships. And you can put him up 
as maybe uh, one of the greatest coaches of all time because not only winning on the hockey front, but also winning with different organizations at different times, which is almost unbelievable, Roy. Yeah, I think he's the greatest coach of all time. I really do. I, I, and the numbers back that up. And what he did with so many, as you said, so many organizations, he won with Diamond. Uh, and, you know, he took over the Penguins when they were just kind of wallowing. You know, they weren't special. Uh, he did the same with the Sabres. He certainly did with Montreal. Uh, he won everywhere he went. And he, he didn't just win uh, on the ice. I mean, he built organizations. He was the backbone. I mean, he, he was the mastermind behind it all. And, uh, and, and most of those organizations, I mean, obviously Buffalo has fallen off a little bit, but you know, I think I think Pittsburgh still, you know, succeeds as a result of the foundation that was laid in part uh, by Scotty Bowman. I, I think he just uh, I think he has an expectation of how things are supposed to be done, and I think if you uh, listen to him and learn from him, uh, and you follow his uh, his lead, uh, you'll put together a winning organization. Uh, you know, year in and year out. Obviously, they've done that in Pittsburgh. Uh, he started that. Um, they've done it in Montreal. You know, they've fallen on some hard times, obviously, in the last couple of years. But uh, injuries and other things have something to do with that. Let's not forget there. But um, as I said, Buffalo, I think, is the, is the exception. Uh, but Scotty Bowman, is, um, he, is, uh, he is NHL royalty, no doubt, no doubt about what, it. Wasn't he the original coach uh, for the St. Louis Blues when the new six came in, the Flyers, et cetera? I, You're absolutely you know, right. I, Yes, again. Yeah. And so again, I mean that's another or- that's uh, that's just another right. example of uh, you know at a time when you know granted he was only up against the other expansion teams uh, to get there, but he got to the Stanley Cup Finals and uh, you know loses basically as a result of one of the greatest goals of all time, but uh, uh, still uh, and one of the greatest teams of all time, Boston Bruins. But yeah, he was the coach and. Again, that's another uh, example of a team that, that uh, he built into a champion, and uh, it's what he did. He was a, he he built champions, is what he did, and uh, no you question. can't say that about too many people. Well, before we leave hockey, one last thing for everybody, and that is that tomorrow, free agency at noontime, uh, or what? I guess noontime today. Noontime today. Uh, the Lightning got uh, got to the finals again, but came short in six games. <clears throat> Rangers look as though they could lose as many as six players to free agency. The Lightning or the uh, Jersey Devils are in the same position, uh, very much up against the cap. How about the Lightning? What are they? Uh, have they got any moves on the on the drawing board? Well, uh, as, as you noted, uh, free agency started today at noon, and it's uh, it's been going uh, strong uh, ever since. And uh, the Lightning are in a bit of a tough situation. They're probably going to lose more than they gain. They did re-sign. Uh, some of their most critical players, uh, Mikhail Sergachev was re-signed. Eric Chernak was re-signed. Um, they cannot sign Andre, re-sign Andre Palat. That's that's going to hurt them. Uh, Anthony Sorelli was re-signed. So those are the, that's the good news. They did pick up another defenseman, Cole Irvin, uh, who's been a, he's been around to a couple of teams, but a good solid defenseman, defensive oriented. Uh, he, he helps them uh retain or get back some of the uh the defense that they've lost uh Jan Ruda is gone um but the biggest loss is going to be Andre Palat they had to let him know today that they just can't fit him in a, fit him in under the cap so we'll see where he ends up going uh, former flyer Claude Giroux uh now with the Ottawa Senators of all teams uh, quite interesting where he's gone from Florida so um it's all happening out there Oscar Lindblom is gone from 
Flyers. Uh, he's going to San Jose. Um, but, uh, you know, you got a new situation there and, uh, or a new, new coach, obviously, with John Tortorella in Philadelphia, anxious to see how he builds. It looks like he's building toughness and defense. Uh, that's, that's what he's, uh, the focus seems to be on uh, in Philadelphia right now, focus on uh, defense and toughness. Roger? We didn't get a chance to talk to you, Roy, uh, for the last couple of weeks about uh, John uh, Tort com- coming to Philadelphia. Everybody's uh, pretty excited about it. Yeah, I think they should be. Uh, look, I think John Tortorella is a guy that you bring in if you think you're right there. And if and so I, I'm, I'm not sure he's the guy that you want to build your team. I think he's more of a finisher. But you usually, you know, get, bring in young players. He's tough with young guys. Young guys don't necessarily um, get the message that, that John Tortorella uh, delivers unless you're a, a specific kind. You got to be a certain kind of guy to to hear that message. You know, understand the message, understand what it is he's asking for you. He, he's more of a uh, the kind of coach that does better with veterans. But if you get enough veterans around him and they can bring the other kids in, uh, he'll make you a winner. I I I, think, I still think John Tortorella is one of the best coaches in the game. Um, look, I don't think Philadelphia's been hurt by coaching. Um, but I, I do think they've gotten a little bit better every year uh, in terms of what they've tried to put behind the bench. I think this is the best they've had in the last three, four, five years. Uh, I think it'll work out well for them. I'm anxious to see how it works out, but um, be ready for some controversy uh, because uh, John Tortorella pulls no punches. Well, I agree with you from the standpoint of defense because he uh, he believes in defense. A lot of the great coaches do, and, uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, he, he has his difficulty after two or three years, but he's a he's a lightning force to start things off. And actually, he lasted longer with the lightning, and many many people thought he was going to, uh, having won the Stanley Cup. He lasted a little bit longer. But you're right; his uh, his approach is only goes one way. Yeah, and if you're not and if you don't buy in, you'll be gone. It, it's that simple. He'll he'll weed some guys out, but uh, if they get weeded out, it's just because. They didn't understand that it's a 200-foot uh, sheet of ice, and you got to play all 200 feet for John Tortorella. If you don't, you won't be a part of the team. Roger? They need that. That's what the Flyers uh, need. By, uh, by the way, the uh, Phillies-Toronto, uh, Toronto's got a no-hitter going. And uh, in the, what, the fourth yeah. inning. Fourth or, yeah. So what does that say? I think Constantine just hit a ball off the right field wall. He's on second base. I, I believe he got a double. Oh, okay, good. That just happened, right? See, you're ahead of the game, Don, because you're watching the game. I can't get it. So what I'm doing is I'm on the uh, game day. <laughs> well, Schorber has hit a real high fly ball to right field. That's going to end the inning. So the Phillies are not going to capitalize on the double. Uh, they're still down one nothing, and uh, but at least again, they got a hit. <laughs> they got a hit, but uh, they keep striking out, Roger. I mean, you got another what, thirteen, fourteen strikeouts. Fifteen last night. 15. Yeah, you, you can't, you can't have that. I mean, they had eight. You, know, you only got twenty-seven outs in a game. I don't know what these people count up. You, you know, these guys with all these statistics and everything. Twenty-seven outs in a game, but they strike out eighteen times. You don't have very many chances to, to get anybody to a base. No, not at all. You know, Roy, what about, Roy, we, uh, what about, about the that we haven't so really talked times. at all about <clears throat> Tampa Bay? Uh, how uh, you know they've had a lot of injuries too, and and uh, 
cash it, I guess, trying everything he can to, to get him, keep him in the, at least keep him in the hunt. Yeah, he is, and you're right. Uh, look, every team in baseball has been hit by injuries. It, it, it's not exclusive to one or two teams. The Rays have been hit by, you know, hit by it as badly as anybody. Um, but, yeah, he is. He, I think he's doing a good job of keeping it close um, or keeping him close. They'll get some guys back here eventually, but um, they just lost Wander Franco, which is really a tough loss. They're going to be out without him for, you know, maybe as much as two months. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so they've got to try to the wrist is what it was. Yeah, exactly. He's got a, he broke broke a bone in his wrist or in his handmade bone, and uh, you know, actually, the news is good. I would say because you know, uh, Fernando Tatis uh, ended up with a wrist injury as well, and uh, he he still isn't back. So. Uh, you know, it could have been a lot worse, but hey, you're right. A lot of teams struggling with injuries. Um, some people still think it goes back to the fact that uh, you know, the, you know, just the, the layoff at the beginning of the season. Guys trying to, you know, rush to get themselves in shape, uh, not in shape enough. But who knows? But uh, it's been tough for a lot of teams, and yeah, the Rays are one of them. And um, you know, it's uh, we'll see how it goes. It, at some point, uh, I think everybody's going to deal with it. Although. The Yankees seem to be immune from it at this point, although it might change. Roger? No, I agree. Uh, and they have been uh, very fortunate, but uh, the, they're, they're just a good team. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, to see Judge play, I'm a fan. I mean, you know, he's a class act. I think that he brings so much uh, to be, that's needed in baseball. Uh, you know, they talked about Mike Trout not promoting himself. Remember that a couple of years ago? Uh, hey, listen, baseball needs to do a better job of marketing. There's no doubt about it. But some of the uh, these young players, I think, really uh, give them an opportunity to do a, a big improvement in, in marketing. Roy, I don't know if they followed it in Florida as closely as the New York Post, but Grun had a big story in the New York Post today that, no matter what Tom decides and how well he does during the course of the year, that there is no way that he's coming back to play football in 2022. I don't know whether that uh, article was uh, featured across the country or not, but he's been pretty emphatic. He doesn't care what they say or how they talk to him or who comes to talk to him. He's not going to play. Are you talking about Rob Gronkowski? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I and I believe that. I mean, uh, you know, look, uh, uh, Tom Brady obviously had something kind of cooked up there to go to Miami, and uh, I think that's the reason he, you know, sort of back when that didn't work out. But I think Rob Gronk is fortunate to uh years out of his body, and uh, and uh, he he came out of it pretty healthy. And I think he realizes now that uh, the likelihood of him doing that if he plays yet is probably pretty slim. I mean, just the way he plays, obviously, he's a target. Um, he takes a there, and he, you know, he, everything he's got fun for a couple of years. And I think he realizes that the, the chances of the, the, the Bucks winning another Super Bowl are probably kind of, well, they're not slim, but he probably realizes that with some of the changes that have been made, they're probably not going to be quite as good. And look, I, I think he's same career. He's arguably the best tight end in the history of the game, and uh, he had a lot of fun and he did it the right way and uh, played at a high level on a consistent basis. So as long as he, his body would let him. 
He's been through a lot. Wheeler uh, just gave up a home run over the center field fence. Roger, it is now 2 nothing Toronto. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I'll leave you guys with this. It, it, look, it was it was an, the fans who followed him uh, were, were blessed to have watched Rob Gronkowski play. He was, uh, as I said, he's the best of the position ever, and uh, uh, I don't think it'll be a long time before we see somebody like him again. Uh, I'm not saying one won't come along. Somebody probably will, someone probably will, but Boy, oh boy, he was he was fun in every way. That's for sure. And it'll still well, we be covered the whole scope tonight once again. Thank you very, very much. It's always a pleasure, and uh, we'll get to get get together again next week, and we'll have a whole new sheet of evidence to go to. Have a great you guys. week, Roy. Thanks for having me. As Thank always. you. Take care. Thank okay, you. Okay, we got Mike Cole ready to go now, and and uh, we're going to talk a little golf because the uh, U.S. Open, the one hundred, or not the U.S. the British Open. They don't call it the British Open anymore. They call it just the Open. And that gets underway tomorrow, early in the morning. So uh, we got Mike Cole on the line right now, and uh, no, he's not Frank, on yet. Oh, Mike's Mike not is, with us. Mike got tied up. He asked, he asked for a few minutes, so he's, he's running late. Oh, well, he's still in the teaching okay. seat. Oh, it looks like they're Toronto oh, just hit another home. Looks like Toronto just hit another home, right? Oh, maybe it's uh, maybe it's a three and up. Okay. The, uh, yeah, it's three the, the bottom line is that the Phillies are a very inconsistent team. They had that good run. Uh, I thought that they would uh, be playing a much better at the beginning of the season. I, I thought that they would be much better shape now than they are. Uh, I guess four it's nothing a, a now, Roger. Four nothing. Okay. Yeah, Guerrero Jr. hit one and then uh, was just hit. Uh, it looks like Hernandez just hit this one. Over the right center field, hit the top of the right center field wall, and went over. Yeah. So it's four nothing Toronto right now. And that and that's with Wheeler on the mound. Okay, yeah. so uh, what does that tell you? But you know, uh, uh, Castellanos, uh, you know, I think that was a ridiculous uh, contract. Uh, I, I the uh, I, he hasn't hit. Uh, you know, I hey, I don't want to hear this nonsense, Don. About uh, he's he's push he's uh, pressing too much to prove his his value. I don't want to hear right. that. The guy's getting paid a lot of money to play and to hit. That's why they got him. Not not to be a, for defense to be adequate. And uh, I I looked at that box score tonight and it is a joke. As uh, like good on speakers, huh? Am I good on speaker? You're on? Cheers. We'll come back to the Phillies, Roger, because right now they're uh, they're really in some trouble. But So, uh, we'll, once again, we'll chat. It's going to be Mike Cole that's joining us next, director no, of Rick golf. Peckham. No, Rick Oh, Peckham. now we got to – okay, you have to oh, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> now we're going to go back to hockey. We've got, <laughs> we got Rich Beckham is going to join us right now, the National Hockey League All-Star – uh, report and also talk about the draft today and, or the free agency today. And uh, so, Rick, first of all, thank you very, very much for joining us. And uh, we're sort of jumping the jumping the uh, order of uh, guests a little bit back and forth. So, thank you very much, Rick. We appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, if anything you want to throw at me from the world of golf, I'll be happy to try to work with that too i'm i'm like you guys i can't wait for the british open to start oh boy i'll tell you we've got two golf sports we've got two golf aficionados (laughs) coming on with us uh, later on in the program and and uh, 
since uh, you're right on top of what's happening in the world of hockey, uh, as I say, with the uh, free agency today and all the things that are happening today uh, for players moving around and teams that uh, are in a real cap situation, uh, your overview, first of all, before we uh, – let's start with with uh, the team right there in, in uh, Tampa. Uh, we just had Roy Cummings on. Uh, what about uh, their needs or what about the players they're going to lose? Well, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, just from a fan perspective, I haven't uh, I don't have any anybody I'm calling inside the organization to find out, um, you know, the situation with some of the free agents that they could sign, like uh, Pilat. I'm not sure what happened with him, um, but uh, just looking at the Sergachev signing, I think that that's the one that jumps out at a lot of people. I'm sure because they're making a mammoth investment in him. And, you know, we saw some really good signs from him in the finals against Colorado where um, you watch him over the years and he's got all the physical tools. We know that he can skate, he can uh, pass, shoot the shots. Very good. He's big and strong, but he kind of leaves you with the feeling like, come on, there, there's something more there. We need a little more of this. We need a little more of that. And I think it's more the, the mental aspect of, of his game that's got to mature, and they're obviously investing on that happening. Uh, he's got the uh, skills to be a top-flight defenseman in this league. But, it, it, you know, it's between the ears, I think, and the confidence, I think, more than anything else that, that he can do the job and, and on a consistent basis. But uh, a huge signing there, and I think a big commitment to a couple other guys who, um, you know, have been big contributors, um, although, you know, they've been uh, <clears throat> complimentary guys, and Anthony Sorelli, who you got to watch him game in, game out, to really appreciate what he brings to the team. And Eric Chernak, I mean, uh, the block shots with Chernak playing Hurts, matchup defenseman who's, who's tough to deal with uh, for left wingers as he's playing the right defensive spot. And uh, Sorelli just uh, matching up. I think he did an excellent job in the matchup against McKinnon uh, in the finals and in one of many matchups that he and Alex Kalorn and Brandon Hagel uh, drew throughout the playoffs. So uh, you lock down a guy like that, and, and as it's been mentioned by a lot of people, you know, that Selkie Award that goes to the top defensive forward in the NHL, that could be his a couple of times in the stretch of this uh, big contract he signed. Roger? You know, uh, Rick, I was just looking at the uh, a lot of the uh, free agents that the Flyers have signed. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, like five are going to be depth players, but they're all in the uh, $750,000, $760,000 a year, and they can, you know, be a one-way or two-way uh, as far as the uh, – uh, setup goes, uh, but uh, the uh, the one that they uh, they got was uh, uh, signed a four year contract. Nicholas Desdelaure, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. He got a four year contract. And uh, are you familiar with him? I am. Uh, I believe he started out with Montreal and had uh, performed well in Anaheim. Uh, he's a big, strong, raw-boned kid who plays the fourth line, can fight. Uh, he's one of the better fighters, I think, in the league. And uh, I think uh, in the time that he's been in Minnesota, his last stop, 
he was very effective on one of their best lines. Minnesota was a team that didn't have a lot of natural skill outside of uh, uh, Kaprizov and uh, Zuccarello on their top line. They had to really grind it out. And I think that uh, Delorier played really well with Marcus Foligno and, and uh, a fellow Jordan Greenlaw, I think, was the other, the other guy on the line. And so Delorier can score a few goals if you get 10 goals from him and, you know, he hits 100 penalty minutes and is standing up for your, for smaller teammates. And um, I think the Flyers really feel like, um, A, they need to regain their identity. You guys are familiar right. with that in terms of Absolutely. not necessarily the Broad Street bullies, but you've got to play a more crowd-pleasing physical style. And they've got, you know, skilled guys who just have to mature and connect me and uh, um, uh, the defenseman, you know, they've got there, they've had for a little while, uh, the Russian defenseman, I'm trying to think of his name, Provolov. Or, um, and, you know, those guys are, they need to be protected. And now you've got maybe some guys who are going to work around him and they can, they can just concentrate on leading this team skill-wise. So I think it's uh, probably prudent moves. Not sure what the cap situation the Flyers were facing going in, but uh, I think they needed some fresh blood in the organization on the ice, obviously with John Tortorella behind the bench, they're going to have a fresh look there. The Rangers were saying today in the New York Post, they think they could lose as many as six players and uh, uh, to the, uh, you know, obviously becoming free agents. But I want to go back a minute. We have a tendency to jump over things. Roger made a very big point there uh, that they signed a double contract. Most people don't understand what a double contract is in the National Hockey League. So, Rick, maybe you would explain, because uh, if you're not a, a real hockey fan, you don't know how you can sign a double contract. You mean a two-way contract? Right. Yeah, that, that means that you get a certain salary if you're playing in the American Hockey League, probably in the neighborhood of $100,000, $150,000, and then there's going to be a much bigger salary when you get called up to the NHL, probably in the neighborhood. You know, those guys are probably – Signed for seven hundred fifty thousand, eight hundred thousand, that type of thing. And the uh, the organization has the opportunity to send you back down or bring you back up uh, at their option. Uh, in most cases, it depends on how many years of service the guy has. If he's got three years of service, then uh, to send him down, you'd have to put him on waivers. You know, and any team could claim him. Um, but if they you know, we really haven't seen a whole lot of guys get uh, get picked off of waivers. So if he clears waivers, he can be sent down. Um, you know, if he's younger than that, the first or second year or something like that, then he can be sent down and called up uh, as many times as the team needs him. Rick Beckham, our special guest to tonight. We're talking about the National Hockey League, talking about the free agents today at noontime. Uh, a lot of activity in the National Hockey League up and down from – the, uh, you know, Stanley Cup champions uh, right on down to the bottom of the list. So, uh, Roger, go to it. Yeah, Don and uh, Rick, I just got a uh, bulletin from um, the uh, NHL uh, that the uh, uh, Hurricanes have acquired uh, from uh, Las Vegas uh, forward Max uh, uh, Pacioretty and also Dylan uh, Coughlin. And uh, from the Golden Knights, in exchange for future considerations, 
And I know Paccaretti, uh, 33, he had 19 goals, 18 assists, 37 points in 39 games last year. And uh, I think that's, that is a good move for uh, the Hurricanes. And, uh, yeah, you know, the, uh, what do you think about that one, Rick? I think it makes them a lot more dangerous team because earlier in the day they acquired Brent Burns, who uh, even though he's 37 years old, he's, he has been one of the, the very best defensemen of his generation uh, through the time he's been in the NHL since, uh, you know, the early 2000s. He was a 2003 draft. So they, they traded for him to basically run their power play and fit in on a very deep group of defensemen. And now you add uh, a proven goal scorer in Max Pacioretty, who um, the only issue that Pacioretty's got is that uh, he's been battling injuries the last two or three years. It's really limited his effectiveness, but uh, he definitely, um, you know, will add some, some firepower to that lineup. And I think they really needed that. I mean, they've got a great coach in Rod Brendamore. They've got some terrific young talent, but they don't have any game breakers of the type that, uh, you know, a Kucherov or a Hedman or a Stamkos, you know, real feature guys that you build around. And, you know, Pacioretty and Burns certainly are in the back nine uh, of their careers, but they can add some skill and goal scoring, help the power play in some real skill areas, which I think they needed. So I think they did very well. Rick, the Knights sort of hit their first real bump in the road. You know, they came out of nowhere as an expansion club and, and, you know, just kept winning and winning and winning. And uh, the sport has become such a dominant factor in Las Vegas. And uh, this year uh, they had to make a coaching change. They're starting to change personnel. First bump in the road for them. Yeah, it uh, was a tough uh, season. They didn't have any luck with injuries. And certainly in goaltending, they were very inconsistent. Um, Since Marc-Andre Fleury really had – uh, the big years to, to start off the, the franchise. Right. Um, you know, they've been iffy and goal. I mean, Robin Leonard hasn't gotten the job done, and they really haven't found any consistency there. And I think the team really draws a tremendous amount of confidence from that, and the Lightning are a great example of it. But when you've got that kind of uh, top-level goaltending. But, yeah, they've, they've got to figure things out here, and it's a big year because uh, Bill Foley, their owner, is, He's uh, not a real patient guy, and uh, I think that uh, he's shown that with a couple of coaching changes here with Gallant and DeBoer. Now you've got Bruce Cassidy in there. He's going to, I think, try to make them a little bit uh, more solid defensively. We'll see what they can do offensively in, in changing their style a little bit. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see where the Golden Knights go from here. Roger? Yeah, the, uh, it, that's a good point because they did get off to that great start from the beginning. But, uh, you know, things have a way of leveling off over time one way or another. Uh, it, or it can be go up, it can go down, and or be level, I guess. The, uh, you know, uh, Rick, we, if you don't mind, we were talking about uh, Rob Gronkowski uh, definitely going to retire. Um, you know, there because you're right there in, in uh, Tampa. What what do you think about uh, uh, the uh, the Bucks uh, this year uh, with Brady? Do you think that uh, 
they'll have a, a another uh, outstanding season, or you think they might have some bumps in the road? Well, I think they're running into uh, some of the problems that these hockey teams uh, were trying to solve today in, in terms of free agent signings and trying to fit things under the cap. And, you know, the Bucks uh, had a tremendous roster there, and, and I think a big question is the offensive line. Who's left? Who can get the job done? Um, I think Brady's really going to miss Gronk, as I think uh, the media will as well. But, um, you know, how many of those guys who have who were part of that team that uh, won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, it was a veteran team. How much do they have left? Uh, the guys who've been replaced, you know, how can they, will they have that same continuity? Um, it was great last year that they could bring so many guys back from the championship team. But, you know, now they've had to say goodbye to a few people. And and that, I think, brings up the, the question mark of how this all fits together for them. So uh, I think it brings them a little bit back down to earth. Um, and we'll kind of see where things go from here with uh, with the Bucks. But, you know, the NFL's ultra competitive and um, the NHL's uh, pretty much that same way as we've seen. Greg, Mike Cole is ready to go, but before we uh, jump off with you, uh, the Open, as we call it now, no longer the British Open, the Open, I'm going to give you a chance to give us the winner so we know what to do. Well, I'm a big Will Zalatoris fan, and he's come so close. I mean, oh. he's a guy without a win on the tour, and he's come so close to actually having three major championships. Three, in, three major in, uh, just, Three strokes. Yeah. He's, been, uh, he's been knocked out by three strokes. Yep. So I think maybe uh, he can be the guy. I'm not sure how his game stacks up in this particular challenge with St. Andrews. But, uh, you know, Morikawa pulled it off uh, in, in winning over there in, in the U.K. and obviously a different golf course in Kent. But uh, um, I'm going to go with Zalatoris myself. Well, Rick, we'll uh, say thank you very much. And uh, after this all starts to uh, flow out, uh, all the players that have uh, uh, been made available today at noontime with free agency and so forth, uh, we'll get together with you and you can sort of evaluate how you think everybody made out. Yeah, that'll be interesting when the smoke clears. I just noticed uh, I've been a a little bit away from the Internet for a few hours, so I noticed Johnny Gaudreau signed with Columbus. So that was a huge thing that uh, people were waiting for. So, yeah, still a long way to go in terms of uh, waiting for all the smoke to clear and and see who won and lost. Well, Rick, thank you very, very much. We'll get you in the next couple of weeks, and we'll clear the smoke out. All right. Absolutely. Good, guys. Take care. Thank you. Enjoy the open. Thanks, Rick. Take care. All Bye-bye. right. Mike Cole is ready for We have a chance to chat with him. He's director of golf. And uh, we'll have a chance to, to chat a little bit about the Open and some of the players. Uh, Rock Manor's Country Club. And first of all, Mike, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, some of your observations on there's been so much written over the last 48 hours uh, and beyond about the course that it's uh, much different than it's ever been before, that the wind is going to be much different than it's ever been in any free-air tournament, that there are seven par four holes that can be reached with a driver. Uh, Some of your observations from a a professional standpoint. Well, thank you first for uh, having me on. It's always a pleasure. Uh, And 
it's it's certainly going to be a very interesting tournament. Um, the 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 thing about St Andrews is, yes, yeah, some of these guys can now drive the you know a number of the greens, or they're going to be hitting little flip wedges into them. But if you don't hit the exact right spot on those greens, it's still going to be pretty potable. Uh, you know, it's not going to be you know just a a, a gimme birdie or eagle by any chance. Right. Uh, so you know they they might drive the green and find themselves with you know, a hundred foot putt that, you know, <laughs> walk off with par. Roger. Yeah. The, uh, I am not uh, the uh, golfer that uh, you fellows are. And I admit it. Uh, it's not my personality, but uh, do you think it's, is that an ego thing uh, about the open just now the open? I know I was watching the Scottish open uh, over the weekend. I, I think that's a a little uh, airy, if you know what I mean by, by the British. Well, if if any tournament deserves some little special recognition, uh, it would probably be the British Open <laughs> to, to call it the Open. Uh, almost, I mean, I would liken it to. You're talking about great golfers, and all you have to do is say Arnie or Jack. You know who you're talking about. <laughs> so they've they've kind of reached that special acclaim uh, or special recognition, and and I think there's certainly a a special mystique, especially going back to St Andrews. But uh, as far as calling it the Open, it it sounds a little. Uh, I'm not sure of the uppity. word. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I was going to say a little stuffy, but yeah, uppity. But uh, unfortunately, that's what golf has been in the past. It certainly has changed quite a bit. Uh, uh, we were talking just recently uh, in my course that, uh, you know, the now it's, it's commonplace to see a force teeing off and they got their – earbuds in and they got the, the the music going in the carts and you know, it's, it's more of a social event than when everything was so uh, so quiet and uh, reserved Mike I, I don't know if you had a chance to uh, see the, the uh, dedication yesterday with Jack Nicholas. Uh, only three uh, players have I've been fortunate enough to uh, find themselves as citizens of St. Andrews. And uh, you talk about a ceremony that really, uh, it it was unbelievable to watch. It was unbelievable to listen to Jack Nicholas's presentation and to all the people around him. Uh, It was uh, just, to me, uh, one of the the great moments in golf that wasn't actually golf, but uh, surrounded by the Open. Yeah, I, I only got to see a little highlight of it, uh, and when Jack, I mean, Jack, when he speaks, uh, it's always with class and dignity. And, oh, unbelievable. Uh, and I, I had, as, as Frank knows, I had the incredible good fortune as a young assistant pro to work at Lost Tree Club where Jack lives. And... Uh, and 
he was still on tour at the time. We're talking like 1979, 1980. And, you know, on a a very regular basis, got to stand there, you know, five, ten feet from him watching him hit balls and and talking to him while he was hitting balls. Uh, And he was just the epitome of class, always. It was the epitome of class, absolutely, yesterday. Roger, go to it. No, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and, and when you mention Arnie and Jack, uh, you're exactly right, Mike. You, you know who you were, were talking about. And uh, I just, uh, uh, you know, just following it as, just as a fan, uh, watching it, not as a uh, player like you and Don, that, that uh, it, I think it, it's a shame uh, that we don't have, I mean, we have name recognition, Tiger, et cetera. Um, but I don't think that there's the name recognition uh, as far as the average fan is concerned, like you did years ago with, with those two and Gary Player and Lou Trevino and, and uh, people like that. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I've, I've had discussions with people before uh, where, you know, the, the 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 Jack and Tiger debate, who was the greatest of all time. And my my point has always been that although each of them dominated their time in golf equally, I will say, I think Jack did it against a a stronger field of players. Correct. Uh, when, you you just named you know just you know a, a a handful of them, but you know Jack. When you look back at who Jack dominated over, they they were Hall of Fame players. You know, right. uh, you know the the Arnies and the you know, Gary players, Lee Trevino's, Billy Casper, Johnny Miller. And you, you can just go on and on. They they were all tremendously great players. And and Tiger, although he dominated, you know, as much as Jack did in his time, uh, who do you, I mean who who do you name? Um, you could probably run out of fingers on one hand. You know, uh, you know Mickelson. Uh, I don't know Ernie Els. Uh, most of the players that that Tiger dominated over, in my opinion. Uh, would be in the second tier of players in Jack's day. Mm-hmm. How about my, uh, my next question, G, is this. Uh, I, I personally felt great. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a great, great Tiger Woods. I think he's the greatest golfer playing today, no question about that. And I wish him all the luck in the world, but I'm not a great Tiger fan to say but I thought it was terrific yesterday the way he handled the questions. And, and uh, I thought he and Roy McElroy stepped right up to the plate and hit a line drive right through the middle. I mean, they were right there all the way, every comment that they made. Uh, your comments, Mike. I agree with both of them. Uh, now, I didn't see all of Rory's. I, I saw a little bit of Tiger's. Uh, actually saw a couple of comments from Rory but uh, and saw a little bit uh, – in the Wilmington paper this morning, uh, but that's that. I, I'm assuming you're referring to the LIV, um, right? Yeah, and that 
that was that was my opinion on it right from the start. I mean, it's I mean, it's hard for me to say that I would, you know, <laughs> turn away from a, a guaranteed two hundred million dollar contract. Not that anybody's offering it to me, but you know, it, I, you know, it's hard for me to say. Well, now why would they? You know, why why shouldn't why would they accept that? But my my gut anyway, feeling. Let me let me up for a minute because. The point that yep. Tiger made, which I thought was right on target, was this is not like other sports. You're not signing a contract before you play. Right. You're signing a check when you get it. And as, yeah, as Tiger pointed out, what you're doing is you're giving these people all this money. What's the incentive to practice? What's the incentive to play? What's the incentive to win? You don't need any. And, and I, you know, it's one thing with Mickelson – and we talked about this a few weeks ago on the show. You know, Mickelson's at the end of the line. He's 52 years old. Giving him $200,000 you know, uh, is, is a home run because he's not going to win any more money on the, on the tour. So, uh, you know, what are you, what are you getting by getting Mickelson to, to sign up and play? Yeah, and, and my my take on it was – right from the beginning, uh, isn't there some form of loyalty? And, uh, you know, and I grew up in a, a, a different generation, but isn't there some? So did we, Mike. You, we yeah, did. Every, every, all of us did. Right. You know, isn't there, some, isn't there some feeling of loyalty to the fans, the tour itself, and the sponsors who put you where you are? Well, Without, that's what Tiger had to say. That's exactly what he said. That he was he was yeah. right on. And I mean, he doesn't really very often that I can think of come out and you know step to the plate. But he did here. He went and, and, and same thing with with Greg Dorman. He talked about he played with Greg Dorman. Greg Dorman was an outstanding player, but he tried to turn his back on the on the PGA 15 years ago, and now he's doing it again, and it. Uh, it's not right. As simple as that. Right. Yeah, you know, I mean, Mike, we were talk we were talking about uh this in another sense, uh, in baseball early on with Roy Cummings. And uh and I just want to bring it up for a minute to then we'll continue. Uh the uh JT Riomuto of the Phillies and, and among mm-hmm. others was not va- is not vaccinated. So he cannot play when the Phillies are playing in Toronto. And he makes, right. uh, comes out and makes a statement that the, uh, oh, so what is it? Uh, I lose a couple of days' pay, $230,000. Well, to the average fan, 230000 they may not make in five, six, seven years. Who knows? Okay? Right. And and to make a statement like that, and you know, which a lot of the golfers have made about this uh, tournament, uh, you know, this new tournament, and with all the money as you alluded to, but I think that, that I agree with Don. I think that was a great statement to hit it right on, head on, and you know, not beat around the bush by the tiger did, and uh, because that's what you really have to look at. You, the loyalty, okay? 
the guys that are getting millions of dollars in any of these sports, but they don't get vaccinated. So when they have to go, like, out to Toronto or whatever, uh, they can't play. And they can't play – some guys can't play in New York, okay, because of it. But there's no loyalty in, in professional sports, in my opinion, today. No, I, I, I actually <laughs> saw the comment about Real Muto uh, today, and, again, the Wilmington paper this morning, where he – yeah, yeah saying what you said about uh so what if i give up you know a few days pay and uh and he's and he, he kind of follows up with my my teammates know how much i care for them well that's easy to say but you're you're putting your whole team at at their record in jeopardy right so you can yeah. say, my, yeah, my my teammates know i love them well then then go get vaccinated you know, it's a, it's right. A, you're hurt. You're hurting your team. Bottom line. And but uh, just let me jump in yeah. for a second to update Roger because I, I'm I'm watching the game. He can't see it in Atlanta. I can see it down here at the Jersey Shore. It's now six nothing Toronto, and uh, Wheeler is and it's uh, a one long, long gone. So uh, Toronto, one hitter. So far. Wow. <laughs> yes. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, but, yeah I think no, the other I, thing I wanted to bring up, Mike has a uh, has a camp for kids that he teaches uh, yearly. And, uh, Mike, I know you have your camp going on uh, either now or very shortly. Can you let our, our listeners know, especially those in the uh, in the Wilmington and, and southern uh, Delaware County areas, that, uh, what you've got available and uh, and when when it is available? Certainly. Thank you. It's, it's a uh, – it's PGA Junior Golf Camps, and the camps run uh, through August. Toward, I think the last camp begins, uh, I think it's say, maybe the 15th of August, whatever that Monday is. And they they come to us for a week uh, during the day. It's not, not an overnight camp. And we have half-day sessions and full-day sessions. So the half-dayers arrive at... Uh, 8:45, and with us till noon, uh, we cover all aspects of, of the game. Uh, and then, if they are full dayers, they have lunch, and then go out onto the golf course. So uh, we do this. Uh, we have eight camps. We uh, we're into our third week, uh, so we have eight camps. So there's uh, five five more camps remaining, and uh, they. We take a maximum of 16 campers each week, uh, but it's, it's a great time. Kids have fun. We, you know, we tell them right in the beginning that uh, we have we have three objectives, and that's to have a lot of fun, learn how to be better golfers, and to stay safe. <laughs> and then, yeah. You know, without without the third one, the first two happen. <laughs> so, are these are uh, these uh, first time starters, or are these? Youngsters that have been playing, yet are trying to improve and learn through your system. It is it is a combination. So we work with each each camper at their individual pace and and talent level, uh, and we have uh, you know two coaches working with them each day. Uh, but it is uh, again you know there there are some players that are you know. Like thirteen to seventeen, they'll be 
pool dayers if they've got a little experience, so they go out on the golf course in the afternoon, or the younger and less experienced players are just half-day half day campers. Mike, how long would it take, like my son uh, has uh, two boys and a girl, the oldest is going to be going into high school, uh, and uh, how far, uh, they live in Ridley, okay, how mm-hmm. long is the, the trip to your uh, course from Ridley? Uh, from Ridley, I'm trying to think here. Uh, yeah, that's 20 right. minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. 95. Right, it's straight 40, shot down uh, 95. 20 minutes? 20 minutes? Yeah. That's about right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. great. Okay. Yeah, there you go, Roger. Send those kids right to the camp. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my 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 uh, my daughter-in-law was t- telling the younger son, who's uh, going to be, I think, in uh, in seventh grade, that uh, you got to do something. So he's playing soccer right now. They're on uh, in the uh, Caribbean, the whole family on a nice cruise. So, but when they get back next week, I will definitely bring it up. Okay, because. Uh, that would uh, get and the uh, probably the uh, the daughter the youngest she would uh, just take it like take right over because her personality is that way she's a performer. <laughs> great, great, yeah. And yeah, the, Roger. The registration is done good. online. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. I was just uh, saying I was kind of uh, upset when they were talking about the famous names in golf that uh, my name wasn't brought up because. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was pretty well known in uh, I was pretty well known in, in Delaware County. As a matter of fact, I can't play at any. They see me play golf, and I can't play at any any damn course up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's me too, Frank. Well, Mike, it's nice <laughs> to see the kids grow. I know you've been doing this for a number of years, and so you must be able to take a look at kids that that uh, joined your camp, say, six years ago, who were twelve, thirteen years old. And where they are now at 18 to 20, uh, and how they've grown and how they've stayed with the game of golf, it's got to be pretty rewarding. It, it is extremely rewarding. And uh, somebody asked me just recently when I was going to retire, and I said, "Why would I?" I said, "Why would I do that?" <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm doing exactly what I love to do, and uh, it's, it, you know, to see things like that, yes, are quite rewarding. Well, Mike, thank yeah, Mike, you so much for joining me, us. Me. And I know Frank uh, <clears throat> gets in touch with you every now and then. And you want to talk a little bit more about the camps and things that are happening there in, in your area? Well, I'd love to have you join us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Mike Zimzak, ready to go. Good luck. Mike Zimzak, ready to go. We uh, touched momentarily on Dan Snyder and uh, the fact that he's going to finally make a a statement or he's going to be interviewed and he's going to go under cross-examination. Uh, Mike, you're in the Washington area. I only see the periphery of it. Uh, what's it look like? Well, right now it seems as though based on the reports in the Wall Street Journal and on talk radio today that he is camped out on his yacht someplace off the coast of France trying to dodge the (laughs) subpoena from the House Oversight Committee. No, I'm really not making this up. I know it sounds like a sitcom, but that's honestly what's going on because he refuses to testify under subpoena. So he has agreed to testify via video conference on June 28th. Now, you know, I don't know. um, 
I've been over to Europe. I know that they have like different plugs and the uh, current runs at the same time and the internet's a little bit different over there. So, you know, I don't know what the chances are. He plugs his computer in the video conference with uh, the House Oversight Committee and it blows up or something like that. So <laughs> the latest we have is he is overseas uh, claiming that he is on business and will not be available to testify in person. So he can only be available via video conference. Yeah, I was going to say, it's all set up as a video conference. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, Mike the only reason I was laughing, because Don would know this, so would Frank. The Buddy Ryan, when Don was hosting the Buddy Ryan show with Buddy, he would always address Norman Brayman, the owner, as the guy in France. Because he had a place in the south of France, isn't that right, Don? <laughs> That's exactly right. No, I mean that's it, where it he was. Have, that's, that's where he was have, exactly. Yeah, it does have shades of that. You, you know, I was saying earlier to somebody, I think it's a cross between Norm Brayman and Thurston Howell III from um, Gilligan's Island. <laughs> uh, well, how about things on your? Uh, on your front burner on the on the soccer front because uh, a lot of things are happening uh, on the soccer front. So let's touch on that a little bit. All right. So where do we start? Right now, start um, in Germany. Start in Germany. Well, actually, in England, uh, the, UA, the uh, UEFA Women's European Championships are going over on over in. England right now. Right. Uh, we're about halfway through the group stages. You can touch those games. They are at 12 and 3 on ESPN. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's actually been a pretty interesting tournament. Uh, there's been a few draws and a lot of just blowouts. But what we've seen is probably the six best teams, those six best women's teams in Europe emerge as the favorites, uh, I would have to say after their two nothing win over Spain yesterday, Germany, who have scored um, six and two games but conceded none, are really really looking good. But England also the other day uh, beat Norway, who I thought would be maybe not amongst the favorites but uh, a really competitive team. They beat them eight nothing. That's a uh, a uh, tournament record for a number of goals scored and winning margins. So, it, I mean, absolutely, after coming out in the first game and kind of laying an egg, even though they got a one nothing victory over Austria, England just showed up and played lights out. So, uh, France will be in action tomorrow. They beat Italy on Sunday 5-1, and I think that's a really dangerous team. Uh, France had never won, despite being one of the best women's teams in the world, they're ranked number three behind the USA and Sweden right now. Uh, they are home to the women's champions, uh, uh, the women's uh, Champions League final winner, Lyon, one of the best women's teams in European history. They've actually never won a knockout uh, stage game in the Euros, and they've never won a tournament. You know, they were amongst the favorites to win the World Cup when it was hosted in France in 
2019. The only problem was the draw wasn't favorable to them, and they ended up meeting the U.S. women in the first knockout stage game, or in the quarterfinals, I'm sorry. They met the U.S. women in the quarterfinals and lost. And so I'm going to be very interested to see how they perform if they can finally get over this, the, uh, the hump. Germany have won this tournament. They've competed in this tournament 12 times. Germany has won it eight. So they're really looking strong. England are playing on home soil. Uh, they're a really good team, so that's the tournament that bears watching uh, over the next couple of weeks. On this side of the ocean, the U.S. women are in action tomorrow against Costa Rica in the CONCACAF W Championship, the women's championship for this region. They already qualified uh, based on their uh, 5 nothing victory over Jamaica uh, about a week ago um, for the World Cup. So they'll go back to the World Cup next year in New Zealand and Australia uh, to defend. They're the two-time defending champions. Uh, they beat Mexico on Sunday. It wasn't a great game. It was one nothing on a very, very late Christian Mewes goal. Um, but the U.S. have a very interesting streak going on. They have not allowed a goal in this tournament since the Roosevelt administration, and I'm not talking about Franklin. I'm talking about Teddy. It's been about that long since they've conceded the goal. They just keep running up the, uh, the shutouts. So it'll be interesting to see if they can shut out Costa Rica and then set up a match for the finals and an automatic qualifying burst to the Olympics in Paris against uh, Canada who are their closest rivals in North America. Roger? Well, I wanted to uh, bring up to date uh, the uh, Atlanta United are up over Salt Lake City 2-1, uh, 57-21. And i um, looking to see, uh, I guess that's in the first half. Uh, but uh, uh, I'll tell you, they and the United made a couple of uh, moves in the last few days, Mike probably uh, saw that but uh, you know this this looks like a really good game I'm watching tonight yeah Atlanta United has been really struggling they have only they've they only have. won two games since April and it was yeah. really interesting over the weekend after a loss Joseph Martinez who was one of their original marquee signings their record goal scorer he has the record for goal scored in a uh, MLS season, he's kind of like the, the talisman for that club. He really came out and laid in to the players talking about how, and the front office, talking about how the players needed to step up, that they didn't care, that the uh, front office needed to get a better, um, do a better job of recruiting players uh, who are willing to play for the crest on the front of the shirt, not the name on the back. He, he said, you know, we need to get players in here who are invested in being here, uh, alluding to the fact that he feels like some of their marquee signings have come over and they looked at this time as an opportunity to go someplace else, and they're not as invested as they should be. Uh, the coach came out later and kind of tried to walk that back, but it was very interesting to hear his words, um, he's clearly frustrated, and he even alluded to the fact that he may leave in free agency uh, after the 2023 season. Because mm. he's so uh, 
so so uh, upset with the uh, uh, the spirit of uh, the teammates, you know, and, and yeah, not doing I mean, the job. They've been too Mike, long. Mike, let me ask you this because we talked a great deal at the first part of the show because the Phillies are up in Canada right now, and uh, the bugaboo about whether you get your shots or you don't get your shots, and of course, a couple of key Phillies did not get their shots and are not participating in and uh, trying to, you know, win themselves a uh, postseason berth and uh, really struggling. Uh, has soccer got this problem with the number of countries you go to and, and uh, do some countries make sure that you have your shots or can you get in and play if you don't have your shots? Uh, it really is a country-by-country country thing. Most of the European countries are under the EU, which has different um, restrictions on being able to play. So we have not seen that as much in pan soccer uh, as we might in athletics over here. Now, of course, that could be an MLS thing because you have teams in Canada. In fact, you have three of them in Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto. So athletes here who want to go up to Canada and play. If they're not vaccinated, they can't go. Um, we know that, you know, had a tor- tournament and tournaments have not been scheduled in Canada for that reason. Uh, and it bears watching uh, how that's going to continue to play out. Um, you know, I know that it's still, what, four years away, but. Uh, with the vaccine requirement, if the Canadians don't change that, uh, you know, how will that impact something like the World Cup where you have international teams who are going to be playing up there? And, you know, what will happen if the vaccine requirement is there and you have athletes from Africa, from Asia, from parts of Eastern Europe who may not be vaccinated from wanting to go up there and play, you know, COVID has been a thing in soccer. We saw a number of games throughout the various European leagues this year that had to be canceled as a result of, you know, COVID outbreaks amongst teams. Um, but the vaccine requirements uh, are, are, are different, and so they've relied a lot more on what we've seen as a lot more issues with testing more so than the vaccine requirements. Well, Mike, uh, always good to talk with you. Great information, as always. And uh, we'll get together again next week. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Doug's sitting in the wings there waiting to go. Mm-hmm. And we'll uh, get to him. Go ahead. Uh, thank you very much. Mike, well, have well, a great well, make week. sure you congratulate Doug because the Baltimore Orioles are actually at 500 right now. They've won nine well, straight. Good. They're up I, or nothing. I, 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 was, the I was going to be my first question with Doug. Was not necessarily, even though he is, our PGA professional, even though the Open is going on starting tomorrow morning over there at St. Andrews, my top story here tonight was mm-hmm. the Baltimore Orioles and their winning streak. Yeah. Doug, right. what do you think? Well, I witnessed their win firsthand uh, last night in Chicago. My my wife and I flew to uh, Chicago for a couple days. I was I was stationed in in Wrigley Field. Um, I had my first ever Chicago dog, um, you know, which was delicious. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we, we watched him get to, to 500. And here we are back tonight and uh, winning 4 nothing currently, I think. So, you know, it's um, – if you really think about it, they have 44 wins. They had 52 all of last season. So um, I think that the over-under on amount of wins for the season for them, if you would have taken the bet, was 62. I think that there were a lot of, um, you know, baseball media guys, uh, Buster Olney and, and some of those guys that just, you know, were, were relentless on how bad the Orioles were and, and those sorts of things. And, you know, they're fun to watch. They're obviously trending in the right direction. Um, I mean, if you look at some of the all-stars that were picked, uh, we ha- we had this discussion last night at Wrigley. Um, Contreras for the Cubs and Ian Happ for the Cubs. They had two representatives. Um, and I know that they're the National League, but the, the Orioles probably have five or six players that are better than both of those guys that weren't even considered. You know, so that tells you how weak – I think the National League actually is. And I, I watched um, Jorge Lopez. Well, let's go backwards. So Jordan Lyles threw seven innings last night, um, looked pretty good. And that that's what he's there to do is to, is to eat innings and mentor some of these younger guys. But they, they brought in CNL Perez, left-hander. And from where I was sitting, from the time the ball left his hand to the time it got to home plate, if you blink, you missed it. I mean, he was throwing 98, 99 miles an hour from the stretch position as the setup guy in the ape. And then they brought in Jorge Lopez, who's a lone representative for the Orioles um, in the All-Star game. He, I mean, his stuff is so electric when he gets a day or two of rest. He was throwing 97, 98, 99 miles an hour, and he was changing speeds back to a slider that was throwing about 83 miles an hour. So... I mean, just nasty, filthy stuff. Uh, So if you look, as I had this conversation with a lot of the Cubs fans, which were, I hate to say it, but the Cubs fans were really nice people. Uh, We encountered a lot of really, really nice people in Chicago. And if you look at the Orioles team, a lot of those guys are cast-offs. They're rule fivers. They're they're waiver wire ads. I mean, Perez, C.N.L. Perez was one of them. Um, you know, Mateo was one of them. Midwesterners, Midwesterners are altogether different. <laughs> well, I'm used to dealing with people from Maryland who aren't generally very nice, so it was a shock to me to actually go somewhere and and have people, you know, be nice to you and and talk to you and and not, you know what I mean? Just it was different. It was way different. Um, so it was it was a blast. We had a blast. I mean, I'm a little bit tired from a couple of days and, and, you know, just a, a quick trip out and, and back and some plates and those sorts of things. But um, it's all good. We had, a, we had a wonderful time. Roger? Well, I'll tell you, Doug, uh, I am, I'm an Orioles fan again. I was mm. for many years and uh, yeah. spending a lot of time, you know, uh, in uh, D.C. and, and NSA mm-hmm. uh, for reserves and for work. And I'll tell you, I'm watching uh, a lot of highlights uh, I've still got an Orioles cap. I'm going to uh, start wearing it because I'll tell you, the Phillies are wearing thin on me. And the Braves are, I have my Braves cap. So, Well, I'll tell you, the other interesting portion of this is, you know, Don, you and I have talked about whether the Orioles are going to be buyers or sellers or, or how aggressive they're going to be um, at the trade deadline. And, and we don't right. know the answers to that. Obviously, we're going to have to wait and see, but – on a more positive spin, I mean, I think after a player reaches 130 major league at-bats, 
he no longer becomes a quote-unquote prospect. So Adley Rutschman was dropped from the top 100 prospect list because he's you know, surpassed that number. However, the new list that came out still holds, I think, six Orioles in the top 100. In addition, you know, they have five of the top 81 picks in uh, whatever next weekend's, this weekend's Sunday's draft. Um, you know, in addition, they have, you know, other people at the double AA, A, triple A uh, levels who aren't necessarily in that top 100, but are, you know, wonderfully good prospects. So, you know, there's well, the last time we talked, you made a key point. You said, I hope, you know, they don't do something disruptive. That was before they won, you know, all these games and went over 500 if they win again tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you were very adamant in your position that, hey, yeah. let's don't disrupt this team because it's now just getting to a point where they're working so well together and playing right. so well together. So we'll see what happens. Well, they suffered well, I mean, for a long time to get to this uh, this yeah. spot. I mean, you know, it, for years we were making fun of them. Sure. Well, pe- people were. And that was, that's, that was my opening statement, um, you know, that to a lot of these individuals that had taken their shots at the Orioles over the year, those are the ones I don't want them back on the bandwagon. They, they can go bury their heads in the sand and do something else because as an Oriole fan, you know, my, my dad watches every stinking Oriole game, and for him to endure, like, four seasons of, what, three seasons of over 100 losses, I mean, you know, it's very frustrating. They had a lot of really, like, 4A-type players. They weren't really even major leaguers. I mean, right, and, and right. the Orioles, have, they haven't even spent any money yet in free agency. You know, so, I mean, I think the highest paid player on their team is Jordan Lyles, who signed a one-year deal for $7 million. So, I mean, I mean, let's not rule out the money they're still paying Chris Davis, but, I mean, I'm talking about players to play. Um, so, there, there's a lot of optimism, I think, if you're, you know, interested in, in getting your uh, Orioles baseball cap back out of the closet and and dusting that thing off. I think there's a lot to be excited about. I mean, there's definitely, when you watch, especially at Camden Yards, there's a definitive vibe that you feel. Yeah, there is. I feel. You're You're right. Um, And, you know, to watch them come back in those couple games that they had those comebacks. um, And Kevin Brown does a wonderful job, I think, of calling the games and adding to the excitement. And it's super exciting to be an Oriole fan for me. And I I know this, obviously, this year. I mean, they're – Right now, two games out of the wild card. Is that going to continue? Probably not. They they still have to play a, a very difficult ALE schedule, which is the most difficult division in baseball. But at but the same time, up for a second, just to give Roger a little encouragement, Scott just hit a home run, two run home run, and the Phillies are now only down six to two. Go ahead, go ahead, Doug. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. So at the end of the day, I mean, if the Orioles win seventy plus games. You know, that's a heck of a that's a heck of a leap forward and a win. So, oh yeah. Um, well, I, you know, Doug. Know. I mean, uh, years ago, uh, when I'd be at a lot of games, and this was uh, pre Camden Yards at Memorial Stadium, and uh, oh, yeah. the broadcast 30, 30 team, Street. yeah, exactly, had the uh, Catholic school right across the street. And uh, but I can remember uh, I thought it was a great broadcast team, uh, Mel Proctor and John Lowenstein, and oh, yeah. uh, then there was also uh, Jim Carvellis, you know, who did base uh, baseball and also the uh, Bullets when they were in uh, in Baltimore. 
And mm-hmm. uh, and I know, uh, Don, I know you knew Don, Jim Farvelis for years, uh, you know, back in the day. But right. they, they, that was all on HTS, on Home Team Sports. Yeah. And I, I just think they, they did it. Yeah, you remember that? I mean, I know you were uh-huh. young. But, you know, sure. I was watching the uh, Orioles the other night on uh, MLB Network, but it was Masson that was doing the games. And right. uh, and they did it. I thought they did a great job because some of these mm-hmm. uh, t- uh, teams that we don't see that often, I don't think the broadcasters do a good job at all. And right. uh, you know, and I and I do think Chip Carey does a great job. I think his mm-hmm. analysts, uh, and unless uh, you're uh, Frenchy, uh, I think they're awful. I really do. <laughs> well, I mean, Peter Moylan, I can't understand, and he's Australian. And, and he right. talks English, but I don't understand him. <laughs> well, I, I think the Orioles do a really good job of rotating, you know, the other guy, which it goes from uh, Ben McDonald, who, who's really grown on me, and I, I think he, he adds, a, you know, a, a country boy flavor to, to, you know, the the baseball game, uh, obviously very knowledgeable. Uh, Mike Bordick, who I love, um, I love his points of view. You know, I think – Jim Palmer's probably the worst one for me. He's a little dry and a little, I don't know what you'd call it, on the arrogant side maybe. Uh, but Kevin Brown, I think, does a wonderful job. Um, so it's exciting to watch the team. It's exciting to listen to them. I listen, if I'm in the car, I, I always listen to the game. Um, you know, my, my wife and I watch. I mean, she's a Nats fan, but, but she's, you know, the Nats are god-awful. But she's been watching a lot of this I was going to say, she, she's um, in the same boat that people were in Baltimore for the last few years. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, listen, I, I had to I had to listen to the, the Nats winning the World Series and the parade and all that crap, you know. So, I mean, so it all, all takes its time. <laughs> hey, let's get to golf well, I, a bit because we got a PGA uh-huh. professional here, and we got yeah. the Open going on starting tomorrow morning early. Uh, yeah. so, some of your observations, some of the people that you uh, – you think mm-hmm. are going to be in the hunt, and uh, yeah. also, what do you think about the course? We talked uh, earlier in the show, and they keep emphasizing the seven holes out of the mm-hmm. eighteen. That uh, on this particular course, with as dry as it is and no wind, mm-hmm. they can reach yeah. every one of these greens with their drive, and sure. what the low scores yeah. are going to be. Your observation? Uh, I, you know, I think that always makes for a fun championship when they um, have holes that are. I don't know if you'd say risk reward, but drivable or, or you know, they play certainly different. Um, you know, I think that um, you know the old course is an iconic place. That was it, Bobby Jones, that said your resume is not complete until you win a British Open at at the old right. course. So I mean, they've you know, t- Tigers won it there uh, twice. Um, I, I mean, it's a wonderful venue. Um, it's great. I mean, I, I love getting up early to watch the British Open. I think it's, um, especially when you're talking about us typically being under the, the cover of 90 and hazy, hot, humid here, and they're typically wearing stocking caps or sweaters or, or something, I think is, is, is a really cool thing uh, to see the No wind but, this year, they say. It's going to be four days yeah. with no wind. Yeah, that's odd. Um, so, yeah, you might, you might see um, – some lower scores, and I think that it's interesting to note. I mean, I know that Tiger loves playing there, and, and um, you know, we've talked about his, his injuries and the inability to 
play a full schedule, um, you know, in as much as to say that <laughs> him walking four rounds of golf is, is very difficult at this point in time. So he, he believes he's ready. I think he, he wouldn't be there otherwise. Um, you know, I think the tournaments that lead up to this event, a lot of guys uh, from the American Tour like like to play the, the Scottish Open the week before um, in an effort to, you know, figure out some of these link style concepts. So you had right. Andrew Schauffele, who, who won last week, who, you know, I think is obviously playing well, and you can't discount him. I think that you can never go wrong with Scotty Scheffler, who's, who seems to be in the mix every week. Um, you know, Tommy Fleetwood's always seems to be somewhere near the finish line. Um, you know, I think there's, I mean, John Rahm, I mean, you, you can, there's a lot of, I mean, this is, this is a major. You've got a lot of really good players that are playing in this event. And, how about uh, how about Roy? Um, I think Roy, uh, because he's been a long time since he's won a major. What seven years? And uh, yeah, uh, they're putting a lot of they're putting a lot of stock in because he's playing very well at the moment. Yeah, I think listening to him in his interviews, I think he's pretty confident in his ability right now and where he is with his game. And um, you know, I mean, maybe it's his time again. I don't know. I mean, he's. You know, it's like how many years ago was it that uh, Sergio Garcia was, you know, an up-and-coming prodigy that was going to be, you know, battling Tiger Woods week in and week out. Um, and now all of a sudden he's nearly, what, 40 years old. So That's right. you, know, you look at Roy McIlroy, I mean, time time passes, you know. And, you know, Don, you and I have talked about this a number of times on this show about how competitive the game is and how many good players are playing every week and how – you only have to string, you know, four, you know, potentially three to four rounds of golf together to hoist a trophy. So um, that's why it's so hard to predict these things because, you know, I mean, if, if you went sight unseen and said, you know what, you have to pick a whatever, we'll call it a trifecta in this in this uh, wagering, you'd, you'd have to pick Shoffley because he won last week. You'd have to pick Scheffler because he's the best player on the planet right now. And then – you know who do you who do you who do you kind of muffle in there as your third pick? I don't know. I mean, you want to take a long shot in Tiger? You want to you know I'd, do I'd something different? Jordan I mean, Spieth. Jordan Spieth's playing pretty well right now. His game's not in yeah. bad shape. I I think he's got a shot. I don't know. I I don't know. I just Spieth to me is is. I mean, he he may be a top tenner, but I don't I don't know that he has the the guts to get a win here. I mean, he's fooled with his swing over the last couple of years and. I can't I can't stand watching him with that stupid practice swing that he does. Um, but he's I don't know he's just I, I, he was to me a, a good representation of an American golfer. Um, he, at one point in time, I feel like he was doing and saying all the right things. But you know he he's the kind of guy that hits a bad shot and blames it on his caddy. Like I just I don't know. There's something about the guy I just don't like. And um, whatever. Roger. Yeah. Well. You know, we were talking about it with Mike Cole earlier, Doug, about golf. And a point that uh, that I made was, and and I think it's very true, and, and he agreed, name recognition of today's golfers, other than Tiger, we'll say, is not what it was in back what I call the heyday of mm-hmm. golf. Arnie Palmer, right. Jack Nicklaus, okay, Lee sure. Trevino. Gary player, you just don't have that. And I don't know whether it's because media is so spread out today with all these other networks and all these highlights. I I don't know. 
But uh, and then we we also talked about the uh, competitive tournament for you know Saudi Arabia, and uh, yeah, and, I mean, look, and Don, well Don brought up a good point that that uh, Tiger hit it right right uh, up front about uh, not having uh, your uh, dedication. Uh, to the PGA, uh, they loyalty, should have loyalty. Royal, yeah, loyalty, right? Well, listen. What I, about I think that, Doug? To, to answer your first question, I, I think you have a, a much deeper and richer talent pool uh, today than you've ever had in, in, in across the board in sports. I mean, look, look back through the annals of sports. I mean, UCLA won how many national championships? The Yankees won how many World Series? You know, you, you had teams that dominated for a number of years and I'm not saying they weren't good teams I'm just saying that the overall talent pool wasn't conducive to parity as it is now where you look across the board to any sport you want to think of you know and you know whether they have a salary cap or they don't it's very hard to be a dynasty in this day and age because of the, the parity that's involved the, the well you didn't have agency free agency and, then either back then right in the, in I mean, the day that was so seriously I mean well, who the hell was going to beat the Yankees? Who the hell was going to beat UCLA? Who the hell, I mean, who was going to beat some of these teams? They had the same people every year. I mean, if the, if you couldn't beat them last year, how the hell are you going to beat them this year? You know, I mean, you, you, I'm just saying, like, you, you look at teams now, and, I mean, look, we, we know that technology's played its role with, with these athletes and their training and their bigger, faster, stronger, and, and all these things. I mean, we've talked about, you know, all this. Would, would Wilt Chamberlain be as dominant today as he was back then? Absolutely. We don't really know the answer. I don't know the answer Absolutely. to that question. I mean, you know, if you, had if a, you never played, saw him, Doug, you never if, saw if, him. I don't think. Okay, well, you might listen, have seen him late. If 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 Ray Lewis played for the Colts, he he, he would have killed people. You know what I mean? Not not that people that played for the Colts, you know, didn't. But I mean, a linebacker of that day was two hundred and fifteen pounds. You know, so, I mean, the games have changed over time, and, and I think that's, that's I mean, how many guys, look, the, the, the Orioles can run five or six guys out of their bullpen that can throw north of 95 miles an hour. That wasn't the case back in the day, you know what I mean? When, when I mean, there were well, pitchers, obviously. Well, it wasn't the case 10, five, that six years ago either. We're talking 20-plus years ago is what I'm saying. No, 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 I'm well, saying what you let just me, Let me just throw one not, point in. If you look at Wilt. Excuse me. If you look at Wilt, he was a uh, an entity within himself. I mean, they had to change the rules. If Wilt right. were playing today, he'd still be a dominant or more dominant player than he was back then. They had I to agree. widen the lane. They had to do all kinds of things to try to neutralize Wilt Chamberlain, and he still holds, I think, like sixty-three uh, uh, NBA records. Uh, you know, Don, when, if 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 Will Chamberlain squared up against Joel Embiid, Shaquille O'Neal, I mean, some of these guys, I mean, what, what happens? Oh, he, he would have taken them out. Will was one I'm of the strongest saying. people around. And, and wait a I'm, minute, I'm not... Doug. Okay, you got me going on this now. Okay, <laughs> Will Chamberlain went against great centers like Bill Russell, okay, and, and others. There were a lot of great centers that were as good mm-hmm. or better – than the centers that you have in the NBA today. Believe me. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that the players of that era, 
probably played more defense than they obviously do now because it's become more of an offensive game. You know, there there wasn't one second. I used to play one-on-one against my dad growing up, and there wasn't one second that he didn't have his hands somewhere checking me, pushing me, on me, whatever. So the game right. changed over time to be less physical than it was then. So I don't think Wilt Chamberlain ran into the same um, – you know, Let me tell you something, you never saw Lusketov. Yeah, Jim Lusketov. And who was the guy that played for uh, the Lakers and then the uh, uh, and Mikan? then for the Celtics? Who? Was it Was it George Mikan? No, 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 no George no. Mikan was great. No, this was later. But he, he yeah. they were both, you know, they were nothing but uh, uh, like the, the Broad Street Bullies. They were fighters. Yeah. You you could never well, come down you could never come down the lane with Musketoff, you know, and, and Russell. You, you know, you didn't see well, <clears throat> now let me let me go back to your point because in all fairness it's it's not the same game. The game we're looking at now right. is not yeah. basketball, it's a three point right. shot game. Yeah. There's there's right, there, absolutely you know, if there's if there's any real contact they complain. <clears throat> right. You know, they come down the floor, they shoot a thirty foot shot. And then they run down the other end and shoot another thirty foot shot. Right. It, it's a totally, totally to me uninteresting game now. It is. I, I, I don't agree. watch the NBA, so I don't. I'm not challenging your point of view. I'm just saying my point was, if you look at the talent pool today in its entirety, from A all the way through Z, I think that you're going to find that today's games, regardless of the sport, are, you know, more laden with talent from top to bottom than they were. I mean, you you talk about Jack, you talk about Arnold, you talk about Trevino, you talk about player, you know, I mean, they had a wonderful grouping of guys that could win on any given week, but in most cases, that, that rotated this week. You had five or six guys that could possibly win. You know, in today's game, you have 20, 30, I mean, how many, I mean, how many guys 50, could possibly 50, win? 50. Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's endless with somebody that could string together a couple good rounds of golf, and there you have it. So, um, you know, it, it, it's just crazy. I mean, the, the NFL, you know, it's very rare that you see a team, you know, um, get to the Super Bowl and, and win. You know, the right now we have the Chiefs who are, you know, kind of in that pseudo-dynasty as far as what they've won and the times they've been there, et cetera, or the Tampa Bay, whatever, Tom Frank, Brady. Frank tells, <clears throat> excuse me, Frank tells me we're out of time. Uh, Doug, thank you very, just very one, much. Just one, let me say one thing. Uh, isn't the international uh, – uh, there are more international players today than there were back yeah. in that era. For sure. That's the global, the global, all sports are global, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, take care, Doug. You got it, guys. Wolf number one always will be. Right on. <laughs> Take Have care, great Doug. Week. Look God forward works. to the open tomorrow morning. Of course. <clears throat> Have a great week, Frank. You're the master. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, Rex. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of the Fire Services. When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please, please let them know that you know they're there. These are very tough times for men and women in uniform. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Patrolman Jeffrey Curtis, Tor- 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 Tor-
Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Randy Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Sergeant Thomas Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrol Officer Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Charles Lake, Hillsborough County, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrol Officer Arnolfo Christman, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogan, Longwood Key Police Department, and Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, though, you may be 10-7 at this point in time. At some time, you'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great week.
1999. County dispatch to 1999. All units be advised, 1999's responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.